0: turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 are the greatest message ever given because it's the message given by Jesus Christ. There's no... People say Spurgeon was the prince of preachers and they say this person's a great preacher and that person... But no one could, um, could present and expound the truth like Jesus Christ, because he is the truth. And to give you an example, he gave this message, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we have spent the rest of history going over it and drawing out of it. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God, how unsearchable are his ways. And we are beginning a series for the rest of this summer that is basically going to look at the introduction of this message. That gives you an idea how great a little we're just scratching the surface to look at the greatness of Christ that we're going to take eight weeks. And we could take longer than that, but to look at just the introduction, but the introduction Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word that we're able to um, access, that we're able to read that your spirit is able to use to minister in our life. And Lord, every one of us here today comes with different needs, with similar needs. And Lord, we all come with needs that only you can meet. And so we ask for your uh, spirit to do a very active work in each of our lives I acknowledge that in and of myself, there's no way I can accomplish your purposes. And I plead your mercies for your glory alone, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Every one of us want things to go well with us. You know, you never wake up and say, man, I, I just hope I have a bad day today. I mean, most people wake up and say could I just have one day where everything goes well? We, we desire, and naturally so, we, we want things to go well. We want to be blessed. It's interesting. We'll, we'll look at various people and we'll think, they, they are blessed. Look, look at what, and it may be we look at what they have, um, in maybe possessions or maybe in a, in a marriage, or a family, or in their job, or in physical appearance, or whatever it is, but we come to various conclusions, wow, they they are truly blessed. This desire for blessing, honestly, this alone gets many people involved in Christianity. They believe that that getting in with Christ is the way to make things go well and um, sometimes they get in and find that um, maybe it didn't go according to the way that they expected but this aspect of blessing is right out of the gate what Jesus deals with in the sermon he, had his disciples that were following him, but he'd perform miracles and many people were following him. And he went up into a mountain and his disciples gathered around him and he wanted to teach them the foundational principles of his life, of his way of being a follower of Christ. And as he sat down, he opened his mouth and he taught them. And this introduction, he gives eight times where he said, Blessed is the man that, and these eight characteristics that he gives, these eight principles that he gives um, lay down some important truths about About God himself. And he begins with this desire, with this um, appealing to our desire. We want to be blessed. And, And we need to step back and look at the blessing of God. How do we determine the blessing of God? Some people think, well, you know what? I just don't know that. God can even bless my life. Do you understand God desires to bless every life? Every life, and God has blessed every life, but the fullness of God's blessing, every life is made in the image of God. And he has blessed every life with that. He has blessed every every life of every human being with this, this aspect of, of um, we are eternal, we are made in his image in the sense that he breathed into us the breath of life, and we now um, will have either eternal fellowship with God or eternal separation from God. But God wants to bless, and he uses the term here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. As some translations may translate it, happy. The Greek word that is translated blessed or happy is much more than than maybe we would consider as blessed, and it's much more than than happy. Most of the time, we think of, of happy as being circumstance-related. The term that he used here means there is a spiritual well-being and prosperity. It refers to a deep joy in the soul. There is a, a peace in the soul. What's involved in this is there is a deep joy in the soul. Although there may be waves on the top, in the in the recesses of the heart and soul there is joy, there is peace, there is contentment, there is a rest in God. You understand the bottom line? That's that's desperately what people want. They want a peace of mind. And people will chase after things and think this will satisfy. And, and they find that nothing in this world will satisfy except Jesus Christ. But it, it, is a, it is a term that is used as an exclamation of this inner joy and peace that comes by being right with God. Happiness may indeed be a part of it, but it is, it is a happiness that transcends what happens in the world around us. It is a happiness that comes when the soul is being favored by God and in a right relationship with God. God wants to bless every life. You know, you've you've run into people that, that, I don't know, I guess Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? Everything is bad. Everything oh my if I didn't have bad luck I wouldn't have any luck at all, you know, and 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 they they would tend to think that God doesn't want to bless me. I'm just I'm just on the short end of the stick, you know? And always have been that way and always will be that way. And there's people that have that mentality. The truth of the matter is, God wants to bless every life, and he's given us the opportunity, and he makes known to us the paths of blessing. And that's what he's doing in this introduction. He's saying, you will have this, this deep inner joy and peace in your life as you embrace this and follow this. And he gives us the path of blessing, and during the next uh, several weeks, we're going to look at that and and look at these individually. But he gives us the blueprint. He gives us the directions, and it's time we take the directions out and read the directions and follow the, the directions. But God's blueprint, God's path to blessing is opposite to what we naturally think and that's where we run into problems. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His ways are right and God's ways are not our ways. In fact, this is where we we run into the rub. This is where we run into a problem. God says this is the path to blessing and and, and it It goes against everything we feel, against everything that is around us in the world. How can that be a blessing? How can that be a path to blessing? And that's where it comes into um, what we talked about in the adult Sunday school this morning, where it comes into the relationship of faith. Faith is just believing what God said he would do. So... God wants to bless every life. God and, and the blessing that we're talking about is, is an inner peace and joy knowing you are right with God and have fellowship with God. He makes known that path of blessing to us, and it is opposed to what we naturally desire or think. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek. Is this just a blessing that we're talking about that will be in eternity? I'm living here. I'm living now. I want blessings now. These are benefits that come into our life now and eternity. Some say, are these just blessings for eternity? No. Um, These are blessings that apply in this life and even more assuredly, apply in eternity. It is a win-win situation if we embrace the ways of God. So, we want to get in and look at the first step to blessing in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first step to blessing is a poverty Of spirit. It has nothing to do with how much money you have in that sense of poverty. It is a poverty of spirit. It involves that we want to mention today two realizations. Number one, it is realizing my own helplessness. Literally, the Greek word, the the Greek that he used here, literally means, I am not going to make it without help. Coming to this realization, a poverty of spirit, that I am not going to make it without help. It is totally dependent on... An outside help for life and daily survival. It it involves um, so many pictures that when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, they understood what he was talking about. It is a, a bankrupt condition in which... We are unable to pay what we owe. That we cannot, if we scrape together all our resources, we could not pay what we owe. At, at this time, those that would do business would come to the, the local markets and the areas, and they, they had um, what, in this term that Jesus used, poverty of spirit, it meant that their bench was broken. If if someone's bench was broken, it means that they were unable to carry on business. They were unable to to um, do business. They didn't have the resources. And the bench that the the business keepers would normally sit on to do business, their bench would literally be broken. To tell people, no, you cannot do business with this person. He does not have a bench to sit on. He is not able to fulfill. He may promise you things, but he is not able to fulfill it. He is of a broken spirit in the sense that a poverty of spirit. He has nothing with which to, to do business. And they would literally break the bench so that he could not do business. We are helpless, number one, to keep ourselves alive, let alone functioning. And a poverty of spirit is the entry level to the blessing of God. God uses many, many things in our lives to bring us to this point. He'll use pain. He'll use disappointment. He'll use reversals. Many, many things. But it's understanding our condition. It's a, a point of helplessness and hopelessness. In and of myself. In and of myself, I do not have what it takes. And many people come to the point of helplessness in life, but then they make the wrong decision. They come to the point of hopelessness, and we're living in a society today where it is being magnified over and over again. People coming to the, the the end of things and just saying there's no purpose in living, and they believe the devil's lie, and they come to the right conclusion, life without God is helpless and hopeless. That is the right conclusion but they come to the wrong response. Poverty of spirit is realizing my own helplessness, but secondly, it's realizing my need of God. In and of myself, terms that Jesus used to describe ourselves in our own sin, it's it's a given every one of us are sinners Every one of us are separated from God. But terms that God used, let me just quickly. I am destitute, which means I am in extreme want. This is, this is how we are apart from Christ. I am impoverished, meaning I am drained of all essentials. I do not have I am impoverished I am wretched meaning I am dejected I am rejected I am I am in a wretched condition if left to myself I am hopeless and abandoned That's in and of myself. But all of that is the reality to bring us to say, Lord, I need you. There is no answer for our sin. There is no answer for this life apart from God. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, he said, Without the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no remission of sin. Without Jesus Christ, I have my vileness, I have my wretchedness, I have my um, impoverishedness, I have all of that, and I have no answer for it. No religion, no baptism, nothing can satisfy. And it's, it's realizing that, God, I am helpless and hopeless, and, Lord, I need you. The best news a hopeless sinner can ever hear is that Christ died for the ungodly. And that's me. Christ died for the ungodly. That's the gospel. That's Jesus Christ. In 1776, living in England, a man by the name of Augustus Toplady, a very intellectual man, a man of means, But the Lord directed him, as a young man, to gather at a little meeting of believers. And he sat and listened to, as he said, a stumbling young man who probably could not write his own name. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. At this small little gathering. And the spirit of God. Caused. Augustus. Top lady. To understand his poverty of spirit. That there is nothing I can offer to God. To forgive my sin. There is. I am. I am totally dependent upon him. And at that point. Inconspicuous meeting, he called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And in 1776 in England, he wrote these words Not the labor of my hands can fulfill God's laws' demands. Could my zeal, and if my zeal, Knew no respite. Could my zeal burn with passion? Could my zeal no respite? know? Could my tears of sorrow for all that I've done, could they forever flow? All of that for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Showing the poverty of his spirit, he said, he wrote these words, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee, Jesus, for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, meaning foul in the sense of pew, foul, stench. Foul I come to the fountain. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Those are the words of the hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. The poverty of spirit. It's not just that. That's the entry level to coming to Christ of realizing there is nothing of myself. But it's not the entry level. It is the life of a Christian. God, I have nothing to offer you. I need you, John 15 and verse 5. Without me, ye can do nothing. Why did Jesus begin with this? Because it is the fundamental characteristic of a Christian. It is the fundamental characteristic of a citizen of heaven. And all other characteristics flow from this. That if, if, if we think we can do this before, We're we're set to fall. We're set to have the hand of God removed from us. God cannot bless that. He blesses a poverty of spirit. William Carey, the father of modern missions, as a missionary to India, 41 years. He left for India, and he never came back for 41 years. He was buried in India. He labored seven years before he saw one person come to Christ. But at age 73, when he died, on his deathbed, Carey called out to a missionary friend. He said, Dr. Duff, you have been speaking about Dr. Carey. When I am gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey, speak about Dr. Carey's God. William Carey did not have high self-esteem. He castigated himself again and again for his own sin. When the fire of 1812 destroyed dozens of its precious manuscripts, he was a Bible translator. He he'd translated the Bible in um, many, many other languages. But when a fire destroyed... Dozens of his precious manuscripts, he didn't blame the devil. devil. He said, how unsearchable are the ways of God. And then he accused himself of too much self-congratulation in his labor and said, the Lord has smitten us. He had a right to do so, and we deserve his corrections. When he had outlived four of his fellow missionaries, he wrote back to Andrew Fuller in England, I know not why such a fruitless tree is preserved, but the Lord is too wise to err, he said. When he died in 1834, a simple tablet was put on his grave with the words that he requested. And when you hear these, I want you to ask, What was William Carey's secret? How could he persevere for 40 years over all the obstacles that he had? He was a homely man, suffered from recurrent fevers, limping for years from an injury that he had earlier, and yet he put the entire Bible in six languages and parts of it in 29 other languages. What was the secret of this man's usefulness and productivity? Here's what the tablet on his grave reads, as he told them to put it. William Carey, born August 17, 1761, died June 9, 1834, a poor, wretched, helpless worm, On thy kind arms I fall, period. That's poverty of spirit. If anyone had anything to boast in, William Carey had things to boast in. But he never lost track that the blessing of God begins in realizing I am nothing and he is everything. We are preached in churches, in schools, in homes. You are important. You can do it. You can do it. Just think positive. You can do anything you put your mind to. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can't go fly to the moon. Put your mind to it. Well, don't be goofy. There's a lot of people that have put their minds to being millionaires. Many of them never got there. Some of them did. But it still didn't bring the blessing of God. If you want to have an inner peace, an inner joy that will sustain all of this life and eternity, it must begin with the poverty of spirit and it must continue with that. There's some of you sitting here today saying, I've trusted Christ as Savior. I came to the point where I knew I couldn't save myself and I've trusted Christ as Savior. I hope somebody else here is listening today and does that. You're missing the whole point. That trust in Christ as Savior, that poverty of spirit is the first step of the journey. And then it's saying, God, I can't be the man I ought to be. I need you. God, I can't be the father I need to be. I need you. God, I can't be the husband I need to be. I need you. God, I can't be the worker. I can't. I can't. I can't. And you can't. And I can't. But God can. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, writing to the church at Laodicea that scholars far greater than I say it typifies the last day's churches says, I know your works. And he wrote to the church and he said, Because you say I am rich and increased in good and have need of nothing. And you know not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. Notice the sorry contrast, the stark blindness. I am rich, I am increased in goods, I, I have need of nothing. Jesus says, no, you don't understand, you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked, apart from me. He says, but I counsel you to buy of me, come to Jesus Christ. And he clothes us and he empowers us so that the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. It's not my power. What do you have? What do you have that you have not received from God? Everything you have. Our race, our place, our fame, our lack of everything we have is God. And yet we think we can live without him. And it all begins with the poverty of spirit. And and tonight we'll be looking at, at if we really have a poverty of spirit, it will be manifested in our lives in certain ways. And it will be manifested in God, I need you. I can't do this. I don't care if you've done it for for 30 years. I've been preaching 40 years. But I can't do it. There's no way I can do it unless God does it. And it's that poverty of spirit that we must embrace. Conviction to my own soul as I read these things and, and read the illustrations that we gave here. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Poverty of spirit begins in salvation saying, God, I need you to forgive my sin. But poverty of spirit continues in saying, God, I can't have the fruit of the spirit. I can't respond right. I can't think right. I can't do right. I can't do anything apart from you. And then God loves to come alongside and say, I can fellowship with that. Most people here today don't say, get up in the morning and say, I don't need you, God. We don't do that. We just live our life like we don't need Him, though. We we know better than saying, I don't need you, God. But we just rush into our day. We go about our life. We do our things. And where is God? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father. Forgive me. And forgive us for living our lives like we don't need you. For glorying as though we did something when it's clearly evident it was a work of you. And Lord, I pray today that we would embrace a poverty of spirit. Lord, I pray if there's an individual here today that has never come to the point where they say, God, I need your forgiveness for my sin, I pray today that they would call upon you. And we rejoice that you said that whosoever calls upon the name of you will be saved. Lord, I pray for believers here today that that not on purpose have we we said, I don't need you, but Lord, we've, we've lived our life in such a manner that we haven't, we haven't realized, we haven't lived in the reality of, of our poverty of spirit that, that we cannot work, we cannot live the Christian life without you. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to a dependence Upon you. I pray that we would learn the joy of the blessing of you through embracing a poverty of spirit. Lord, we need you. You are our fortress. And yet we often run to other things for cover. Lord, I pray that truly you would be pleased by what you see in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.